You're listening to episode 26 of the We Got the Runs podcast. Today, we'll be talking to an avid World Marathon Majors six-star finisher. Welcome to the We Got the Runs podcast. We're your hosts, Letty and Angela, and we invite you to join us as we talk about all things running. In this podcast, we talk tips, tactics, and strategies to make running a favorite part of your life. Hey runners, welcome to episode 26. My name is Lady Landquist and I'm your host. And as always, I'm super excited to have you here back with me. Thanks for tuning in. I hope everybody is doing splendid. It's almost Thanksgiving and maybe you already have everything figured out as to where you're going to spend your time and who you're going to have dinner with and what dishes you're going to cook. I know this year is going to be a little bit different for everybody, for most of us, including myself. My parents are actually moving here today on November 21st. And while I'm super excited that they're finally here and my children will be spending time with their grandparents, it's kind of bittersweet. My parents are moving here from Seattle. So literally, they live on the polar opposite of the country. And they'll be staying at a separate place until they find a place to buy. Which kind of sucks, to be honest, because our house is big enough to accommodate them, but since they're at an advanced age, they have opted to do that in order to protect themselves from COVID. And um, I'm not sure how I'm going to explain that to my two and four-year-olds, why the grandparents are not allowed in the house and uh, why we can't hug them. I'm kind of dreading it and um, I'm dying to hug my parents, but I know it's for the best. It's for their safety. And most importantly, um, I'm hopeful that Hopefully, we will have a vaccine soon uh, available to everybody, of course. So um, we've hung in there since March. We can do a little bit longer. I'm trying to think of it as a marathon. So anyway, um, again, Thanksgiving is coming up. We have some local in-person races down here in Florida. You know, those typical turkey trots. And I'm kind of playing with the thoughts of entering one of them. Um, not to PR, just to participate since I hadn't really been training for a while. Um, I always run the turkey trot with my turkey visor and it's quite fun. And, uh, yeah. And if not, if I don't sign up for a race, I'm pretty sure I'm going to talk my running buddy Wes into running a virtual trot with me mandatorily. Um, that's just life. So to you listeners, if you are running a turkey trot or if you're creating your own, if you, um, decide to wear some kind of turkey costume, or if you're making some kind of list, um, you know, for Thanksgiving, things to be grateful for, even though 2020 was crazy, by all means, tag us in your posts, because that's super fun, and we just love seeing that kind of stuff and get inspired. Uh, speaking about getting inspired, I'm going to move on right away to my conversation with fellow podcaster and super fast marathoner Ron Romano, who's a finisher of the Abbott World Marathon Majors. Actually, he's a six-star finisher um, that he was able to do all of those marathons within a year. He'll explain all of this to you guys for those of you who have never heard of it, which included me until very recently. So anyway, my conversation with Ron was super fun and inspiring, especially since it involves talking race recaps and traveling, two of my favorite subjects. And um, we got to do so little of that this year. So I hope you enjoy this conversation too. All right, so I'm here with Ron Romano. Ron, welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm really uh, happy to be here. Appreciate the invite. Wonderful. So why don't we start by you telling us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been a runner. Um, I have been a runner for about 30 years. I was a uh, high school and college baseball player. So I, uh, for sports, I always ran for sports. I played football, wrestled, and uh, played baseball very competitively at a high level and never really got into running at all other than, you know, stealing bases or, you know, running fast in the outfield because I always loved the actual act of running, but never actually got into uh, signing up for races, doing even something as simple as a 5K till I think right around 32, maybe 33 years old. And for age and level setting for the audience, I'll be 60 in January. So it's just about, just about 30 years. That's nice. That's awesome. And you're really fast too. 
Thank you. I try, I'm trying to, trying to keep my speed and uh, it's not always easy, but it is very fun trying to keep up with the youngsters. It, uh, it definitely feels the fire. Yeah. So then um, you completed in 2019 the Abbott World Major Marathons. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what they are and what it means to be a six-star finisher? Sure. I'd love to. Uh, well, Abbott um, uh, is the title sponsor for the World Marathon Majors and initially started as a series for elite men and women and wheelchair racers uh, on the men and women's side to award like additional cash um, in the sport. So the New York City Marathon might have a purse of say $100,000 to the winner. And they started doing this series where the elite uh, men, women, again, and wheelchair racers could accumulate points. So if they ran Chicago and New York and Berlin and placed, let's say, third, fourth, and seventh, they'd accumulate extra points. And at the end of the year, there were large bonus checks that would go to the top runner. So it really was only for elite uh, athletes at first. And those six races, um, for anybody who doesn't know what they are, are Tokyo, Boston, London, Berlin, Chicago, and New York. And that is the order that they occur in through the year. So the first three are in the first half of the year. Um, Tokyo generally is like early March, and Boston is always in April. And London is always six or 13 days apart from Boston. And then in the second half of the year, you go Berlin, Chicago, and New York. And last year, those three were 35 days apart. So those are the six races that are comprised of the world marathon majors, if you will. And I think where the real popularity came with age group runners um, and the people like us is they created the six star, you know, this, this beautiful, amazing uh, medal that you could win if you were fortunate enough to run all six of those races and finish them and post the time, you get that awesome award. So I think that's created an amazing buzz in the running community and gives people like a huge goal to focus on because um, it's a pretty awesome medal. I don't think I've ever seen one cooler. Wow, so that's really cool that they have that medal. I've seen it, um, you sent me a picture of it and uh, yeah, it's amazing. But you didn't only just finish all six of them, you finished them within one year at a really amazing, amazingly fast time. I think it was all sub 320s. Yes. Um, thank you. I did do all six in one year. And for context for everybody at home, only seven people in the entire world were able to complete all six in one year. Um, a couple of those were in um, via charity, which is fantastic. So they were raising money for like one organization specifically. So I don't think um, some of those folks were as focused on like trying to finish in a fast time or maybe, you know, running like a PR. They just wanted to, you know, complete that challenge of running all six in one year. And there were a few of us who were out there you know, slugging it out, trying to run really fast. I, um, I did average 315 for all six races. And what I'm most proud of is my, my uh, high and low times were no more than a minute to a minute and a half apart. And many times, like the three races in Berlin, Chicago, and New York, for example, I ran 315, 316, and 317. And those were within a minute of each other. So they were really close together. And those three were in 35 days. So you're flying you know, to Berlin, you come back, you're flying to Chicago, you come back. And then luckily for New York, I didn't have to fly anywhere. I got to be a you know, home base for the last one. So it was, a, it was an amazing year. And I think, you know, looking back on it now, particularly in COVID times, you know, you really just, you know, pinch yourself sometimes and just wonder if it actually happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's crazy, especially like you said, since they were so close together, basically back to back marathons, including different time zones. And um, I mean, how did you decide to run all six of them in a year? How did that happen? Um, it came about because the two years prior, I think I'd run four twice. So I'd run four twice and done really well. Like I wasn't, you know, falling off at all in my times. I was maintaining real consistency. And um, I think the, the, the year prior to doing it, my fourth one was New York City. I ran 308. So I ran my fastest time out of all the marathons in the past two years on the hardest course, New York. I think I'd run 307 in Chicago also. But so I'm, I was, if anything, I was getting faster and I was getting stronger. And I was, a lot of my friends were just like, man, you should run all six. Has anybody ever done it? And I started doing research and I think 13 people have done it total like all six in one year, but last year there were seven of us that actually did it. So it just was one of those ideas, like something really hard that very <laughs> few people have done. I, and, you know, also being older, it's always fun to try to do hard at tough stuff when you're, when you're older and show people, Hey, you could still, you could still get shit done, you know? So I always enjoy that. 
That's awesome. I mean, that's a great challenge to do uh, for yourself and um, anyone interested. But that takes me to my next question because I just got into the Berlin Marathon actually for 2020 and now fast forwarded it to um, to 21. And um, I know how hard it is to get into those races. For example, I know Berlin is a big lottery. I think London and New York are the worst lotteries, meaning you have the least chances to get in. Chicago, you can time qualify, but you know, it's, it's difficult for some people. So can you tell me how you were able to sign up for all six of them? Sure. Um, and yes, you raise good points. Um, there's a, there's a lot of terrific websites just for the people out there who listen to the show and maybe get stimulated or interested. And cause we're in COVID times so and we need something to lift us up. Um, you know, so there's, there's quite a few sites that really talk about the whole process of how you can get into the races. How does it work? What are the dates? You know, when do you apply lotteries? Just as you said. Um, so for Tokyo, I got in through, um, marathon tours and travel. Um, it's a travel company and and you, as you do more uh, trips with them around the world, and they're not just world marathon majors. You can run Antarctica if you wanted. You had an interest in doing the seven continents, running the marathon on all the continents. So if you do um, a certain number of trips with them, you move up in like seniority and points. And what I love is it's a straight up ranking. It's not like, well, he's faster than me or she's faster. It has nothing to do with that. If you do enough trips with them, you get like seniority, if you will, and it, it will help you get into a Tokyo, a London, or a Berlin. So I can, you know, share information with them with you. And if you want to put a link to it in the show notes, you know, for people that are interested, um, I'm not exactly sure what their fee is, you know, because I've signed up a few years ago now, what it costs to become a member with them, but it's, it's certainly not a large cost. And they're at all the major marathon expos. They're always there. They're always handing out their information. And if you wanted to run the Greece marathon or, or just, you know, something in South America and Chile, something exotic, they can get you into races and they generally are planning trips. You know, they'll, they'll do a travel thing where they do flights and, and the whole package together. So Tokyo, I got in through them. Boston qualified. Uh, London um, got in through marathon tours. Uh, Berlin, I time qualified. Chicago time qualified. New York time qualified. So, and now at 60, which I turn in January, I'll be able to time qualify for all. So, which is a big thing. I won't have to worry about marathon tours or anybody else anymore. I can just, you know, get in on a time qualifier just the way you can with Boston when you're able to meet a standard. So I'm really excited about that. That I don't have to worry about any of that stuff anymore. If I decide I want to run it, I could just go ahead and do it. Well, that sounds easy enough. You just got to run fast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and get older and run fast. Getting older and being fast is a really good, that's a good combo for everybody listening at home. That helps. Well, your combo is kind of crazy because you're really fast for a male anyway. And then you got the age working for your advantage. So, um, so I guess uh, we'll just look into <laughs> world marathon tours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, I think it's marathon tours and travel. I've, I've always say, well, I do the same thing because I'm always thinking like world marathon majors. Yeah, it's pretty sure it's marathon tours and travel. I've got like brochures on my coffee table over there. But yeah, I mean, you definitely, I'll send you information for them if you want to share that with people. Yes, we'll definitely share the link for that and make it even harder for everybody to get in by having more people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so can you take us down a uh, trip down memory lane and tell us about the races in the order that happened preferably and um, what your impressions were about the cities, courses, cultural experiences, and if you were also able to spend some time traveling there? Oh, I'd love to. Um, so it leads off with Tokyo, which is in March. And um, I've been to Japan uh, one time in my late 20s. I won this like really amazing um, incentive travel trip for like 25 people around the world. And I was able to spend 21 days exploring all of Japan on the bullet train, you know, Kyoto, exploring temples, really, you know, seeing the culture and just taking it all in. It was an amazing experience, experience of a lifetime. And this goes back like before the internet, cell phones, anything. I mean, I have photo albums. I mean, this is like for anybody listening, they have to be my age to even know what a photo album is, but I have photo albums that were done and it was by Canon. So Canon makes some of the best cameras in the world along with, you know, a myriad of other amazing technology products. And um, so we, you know, uh, photographers from Canon were following us everywhere. We went shooting with long lenses, taking spectacular photographs of us at Mount Fuji and Lake Hakone and, you know, these amazing temples. And so I have this book. It's, it's like a trip back in time. And it's, you know, I was a kid, you know, I was like, you know, a couple of years out of college and that was the last time I'd been there. So I was so looking forward to getting to Tokyo and got there a few days early. Um, 
just immediately just fell in love with the place again. I, I think I have just the highest regard. It's one of my favorite places I've ever visited in the world, um, Japan. It's just, it's so clean. The people are so friendly. Um, it's just, it's just, there's something about it. There's a calmness to it, a stillness to it. Um, and it's just so, um, so beautiful. Um, the trees, the architecture, the temples, all that. So I got in early, um, met up with friends from all over, was super excited because that was going to be my six star. And um, the race, we were all expecting the weather could be iffy, but we weren't sure. And as we all know, with weather forecasts, we never trust anything until the morning of the race. Um, so I had friends come in from everywhere and we all hooked up. We had some fun shakeout runs and some meals. And the morning of the race, it was supposed to rain a little bit in the morning and then clear. Wrong. Pouring rain, <laughs> freezing rain. And, you know, the challenge with all these races, um, as we know, is like if you're in Boston and you're in the village, like the morning of 2018, you're in a mosh pit. You're out in the mud. You're not in a tent. You're getting rained on. You know, Des Linden and them are in the church hanging out inside and they're dry and getting ready. And, you know, they go out and warm up and do some strides and then they get on a line and go. Like we're out there, the age groupers, we're out there getting bombarded by whatever the weather is. And right. <laughs> we were out there because, you know, staging as all of these races are, you have to go through security and all the stuff with so many runners. We were out there for hours. We were turning blue. The rain was pelting us. I was frozen. I could not get warm. And I knew it was going to be a, a tough day for me because I had gotten hypothermia in 2018 Boston. So my body doesn't handle the cold really well. And um, so the race itself, right before the gun went off, I felt like I wasn't, I was just like enjoying myself too much and just playing around with everybody. And the Abbott people were there taking pictures because you have a special bib in the back that says I'm running for my six star. So it kind of lets everybody know on the course, which is super cool. So it doesn't matter where you're earning your six star. You'll have that on race day. I'm telling you, runners will come up to you. People on the side will come up to you. They'll see it and they'll be like, go, go six stars. They'll give you the chant and everything. I was frozen before the race started. So I took my poncho off dumb move, really dumb move. Um, I just felt like I have to get my head on right. It's time to race. Like, I don't need this thing on. So I ditched my poncho, bad move. Oh, you know, man. I don't know. I got to like 20 or 21 and I was just frozen. Like, I mean, shivering, teeth chattering, frozen, so cold. And I had a hat on that worked really well. And then it got so heavy from the rain that it was like waterlogged. I felt like it weighed like a couple of pounds. <laughs> I remember I just took it and hurled it. And by the way, this is interesting because in New York or somewhere else, I probably would have just like chucked it out on the street or thrown it. In Tokyo, this is a huge thing that everyone will notice who's there. There is simply no waste on the course. There are no paper cups. There are no gels. There is no garbage anywhere. There are people literally patrolling that course. They're like in these white suits. Um, you know, they look like lab people and they just literally run around. And if anybody doesn't put something into a, into a, a waste bag or a garbage where they're collecting it all along the route, someone just like magically appears and runs out in the road and gets it. That course that you were running on is just clean the entire way. Wow. So, spectacular. So, um, you know, I struggled with the cold, but I, I just loved it. I love the course. I love the sights that you were seeing. Everything about it, it's just a first-rate experience. And if anybody hasn't been in Japan, I hope listening to me, they'll be inspired to go because there's so much to see. I got through the last uh, couple of K and I got across the line and you know, got to maybe go about 100 or 200 yards. You have the tent where you go in and you get your actual six-star medal. And that was super cool. I was, I wish it would have been different in that I was awake and alert and feeling like my normal self and my normal energy, but I was frozen, man. My lips were blue, but I got my medal and I made it about a half a block. It was about a mile where we had to go to retrieve our bags. And I had to go into the medical tent. I was like frozen. They put me in like a wheelchair and wheeled me off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it was just my body temperature was just way too low. So they just wrapped me in a bunch of blankets, excuse me. And, um, you know, I think they didn't know what to do with me. You know, like, <laughs> I was like, can I go? And they just like, look at me. And like, I, you know, if you've got the people there that spoke English, you were fine. But if not, I was like, I don't know what to do with this guy. And finally, I just thought, I got to get out of here. So I got up and uh, retrieved my stuff and made my way back to the hotel. So I mean, that was, that was that. In a wheelchair after yeah. running time? Uh, I ran 317. I have my little thing over here. 317.12 in Tokyo. 317.12. In a wheelchair afterwards. That's kind of ironic. But you know, what kind of shocks me is that I didn't know you could get that cold running that fast um, because I am very prone to cold too. But when I run fast, I'm okay, actually. 
Interesting. Um, I think you're absolutely right. When you're moving, you're fine. When you're moving, you're fine. And in Boston in 2018, when I got it, what it ended up, I figured it out long after with Boston, like most people did. The wind and the rain were just the combination was like 35 mile an hour winds blowing in your face. The gels just kept falling out of my hand. I kept pulling them out of my pocket and then I couldn't hold on to them. They kept falling out of my hand. Like you're not going to go backwards when the wind is literally blowing you 35 miles an hour. My hat fell off. People are like, you ran without a hat. I'm like, well, I didn't start the race without a hat. Like these things just, they're just gone. You know, they're, they're blown away from you and you make a choice. You're not going to run backwards in a, you know, a gale force wind and then have to go back into the wind. So I think what really affected me in Boston was that it wasn't so much that my clothing that I broke down and got cold. I think I wasn't getting any fuel in at all for maybe after the first five or 10 miles. And I probably just, that affected me even more. Sure. Getting pelted by the rain and being frozen. Yes. But you're right. When you're moving and you're moving at a good rate, your body does stay warm. It's literally for me, like the second I stop running, that's when it all goes wrong. So I don't I know if that's the case say, yeah. with you, but <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about and it sounds like you do, like the minute I stop, yeah, trouble. No, I agree. That was Chicago for me because um, same thing, you know, your hands, your limbs, your fingers. I couldn't change my music on my phone anymore. And I was running fast for me. I ran a 318. So that was pretty good. But when I I stopped to give you this blanket, it's not a real blanket. It's that Mylar blanket and it doesn't do anything (laughs) for you. It it doesn't do much. Shivering and it's brutal, the finishing. Yeah. So I agree with that. So you were, you were right behind me in Chicago. We, you were close by. Okay, so that's a, I think that's a lot on Tokyo, but that's because it's a personal favorite of mine. So hopefully people will be inspired to figure out a way to get to Tokyo because it is a tough race to get into. Um, Boston will always be my favorite because I, that's really kind of where my you know, sub-elite or really competitive running days were forged. And I had a chance to run in the 100th Boston Marathon, which was in 1996 for some of your listeners who probably weren't even born then, or if they're my son's age, they were just around being born. So um, the 100th Boston was obviously symbolically enormous race. And the largest field up to that race was probably around I don't know, 12 or 15,000. I'm pretty good on my historical stuff, but I, I don't know. Someone will probably correct me. But that's about what the field size was at that point. They wanted to make it a big pageantry, a, a huge event to celebrate the history. So they allowed a lottery for the very first time and 40,000 runners ran in the 100th Boston. And I ran my fastest Boston in 1996, I ran 241 and I finished 400th out of 40,000 runners. So for me, that will always like cement Boston as being the most revered and special place for me, you know, being part of all that history and, you know, running it for so long, you know, still running it today. So that's always kind of be the one that's the closest to my heart. Um, And this year was even more special because my son, saw me run two marathons when he was really small, like one in a baby stroller. And my last sub three at 46, he was um, out there on the course with a couple of his young friends, but he had no, you know, contextual idea of like what that was. He's actually a really good runner himself now, but he had no concept at all. So that was the last time I broke sub three, but he was young, really, really young. And so he was on the course in Boston, one of his um, high school cross country teammates who goes to school in Boston. And I saw him a couple of times on the course he was in town for the weekend and got to meet all my crazy ass running friends from all around the world. And he's just shaking his head going, dad, how do you know all these people? Like everywhere we walk, people are going, Hey, what are you doing? People like coming <laughs> over and like Peter Chacha, the race, former race director of New York city is like running up to me and he's like, who are these people and how do you know them all? So I was just like, Hey, whatever, you know, if you stick around long enough, you know, you make a lot of friends. And so he got to meet all my crazy running friends, got to be on the course, got to see him and, you know, just hang out out and then go to cheers and party with all my mad men, mad women running friends, drinking, partying, getting bombed. It was just, it was a race of a lifetime. And it was really humid in Boston this year, you know, nowhere near anything like the crazy conditions in 2018 where the monsoon came. And um, I ran my fastest of the six. I ran 313. So it was a good day out there. I ran conservative. I think I had a faster race in me, but I had to be really wary of the humidity. It was very, very muggy. It rained. It was hot. It was muggy. Um, and it just, it took a lot out of people. So the people who tended to run better in Boston last year were more conservative. They didn't go out hard and they like kind of held something back. So that was a pretty uh, epic day. And you just made so much more special by getting to spend the time with him. 
And then uh, London is, you know, 13 days later. So you, you <laughs> blink, you know, you're flying on a plane, but to the, you know, the year of um, uh, 2018, when the hypothermia came, it was six days apart. So I ran London six days apart in that year. So, you know, it's been, it's been wild uh, last couple of years journey. So I got over to London and uh, hung out again with a huge group of people, all my friends, get a shake out with like a hundred people. We all went out and had breakfast and, it was just epic. Um, I think the London course is amazing. Um, I think anybody will get that huge, like kind of big city feel the way you get in New York. Um, although Boston, you know, isn't as big, that feeling you get in Boston because everyone's so close to you the whole time and it's so intimate. You know, you feed off the energy, the crowds as you, you, you roll through the towns. London is the same way. I mean, you're seeing all these great sights and the energy of the crowd is so much like New York, close to New York that I would say in terms of wildness and, and crazy comments and signs and just people like, you know, totally getting into the experience. And if you chat them up, you know, you yell at them, which is what I do. Like, I just like pick people out. I'll just like yell at people or whatever. <laughs> and then that's it. You know, I got everybody on my side. So, you know, they like crazy people. So I'm a good fit for our sport because I'm out there having fun, man. I, I Look, if you're going to run 26 miles, you better have some fun. Um, it's a long way to go. And if you want to just keep your head down the whole time and you want to be thinking about how you have a side stitch and you're not feeling good and everything else, well, it's going to be a long day out there, man. You better figure out something else to do. So that's what I do is I roll through these sections. I'll just be like looking people up. I'm like, all right, these people look like they're pretty fun. You know, like yell <laughs> something at them and then they start screaming for you or, or whatever, you know, you crack a joke, you know, whatever. Hey, cheer for the old dude, you know, whatever. I got my ways to get people on, on board, but London was, uh, London was great. And then the, the great part, Letty, is, you know, that's the finish of the first three. So, you know, you don't have another one like two weeks later. You know, you don't have another one like 13 days later. Like, you're like, oh, okay, I got a little break here. I, get, I don't have to run another one, you know, in two weeks or jump on a plane. And um, most people would like probably chill and recharge their batteries. But I ran, a, I ran my first ultra. I know you had Gene Dykes on your show. I listened to Gene on your episode. And Gene talked me into running this, this 50-mile ultra. And it's like a New York with like, I don't know, 10,000 feet of elevation, completely nuts. So I ran that like two weeks after London. So oh some goodness <laughs> a break and recharging. And, um, you know, that was just amazing. And uh, I'll always be thankful to him because not only did he convince me to do it and kind of more or less threaten me to do it, talk me into doing it, whatever you want to say. Um, it was just, just as he said, spectacular. It was like a scene out of Lord of the Rings with the waterfalls and the gorges and the mountains. And um, a couple weeks after that, it was ready to start the back half, you know, the second half of the major run. And Berlin is September um, and got over there. And, you know, the same thing. I mean, I think for people listening at home, if you get into this community and you really, you know, join a running team or you get on some, some Facebook pages, you, you build an Instagram following with other runners, you start listening to the podcast like your show or my show, you, you start to meet people, man. These people become your friends. It's like, wait, Letty's running Berlin. Okay, when are you getting in? Okay, Ron's running or who's, who's meeting where? The next thing you know, you got people to hang out with, go have bagel and coffee with, you know, go do a shakeout run. You know, you don't have anybody to eat dinner with one night. Next thing you know, now you got plans. I mean, these races, like people are sending me messages from over. Are we going out to dinner? Are we going out to dinner? I'm like, well, I can't go to dinner with like five different people on the same night. So you start organizing these meals where you just bring everybody together. So that's how it used to be. I'm like, now I'm like, nope, everybody has to hang out. You know? So I like, that's my big thing. Just try to get people to come together for the shakeout runs, for a meal, or hopefully even more fun when the races are over. Cause then you can like, you know, let it rip and just, you know, get hammered, have some fun. And I know that's what I'm realizing. It's better to not fly out the same day back home. You always have to have that one night. <laughs> One night, yeah, you you can't go home after the race. You got to hang out, man. <laughs> I mean, unless of course, I mean, sometimes we don't have a choice. You know, we have family obligations, we have kids, we have work, whatever our things are that are waiting on the other back end. Um, I would advise any for any of these races because you asked about it. I would advise either going early or staying late. There are great places to visit um, and explore in any of these um, cities slash countries and. I think you're missing out if you don't do that. You know, in Berlin, you know, it's almost really closely tied to Oktoberfest. Now, I have celiac, so I can't drink regular beer anymore, which just breaks my heart. And not only that, I can't eat a pretzel, man. Who doesn't want to eat a, have a pretzel and a beer in Germany, for Christ's sakes, you know? Um, so, Oktoberfest, you got that going on. Obviously, Berlin is just a great place to explore. All kinds of great food and culture and fun things to do. 
Um, the course is ridiculously fast. So anybody who's looking to run a PR, Berlin's a great place to go track down a PR. Flat course. Crowds are not anything like we're used to in like Chicago, New York, or Boston, or even London, I would say. Tokyo, the crowds were great too. Um, it was pouring rain out there the whole day. Those people were out there cheering, man. They were out there like in full, full voice, full, full throttle. Um, Berlin, there's plenty of people out there. They're just way more chill. It's almost like they partied and they're like a little hungover and they're just like out there like, hey, what's up? You know, you're not going to get them all juiced up and start yelling. They're just like, whatever, dude. Yeah. Okay. How you doing? You know, have a nice day. You know, <laughs> like, you know, whatever, whatever. That's what goes on. But the course rocks. It's super fast. And, you know, I got to be there when Kipchoge ran his crazy, crazy ass time and it's a super, super race to, to do. And I highly recommend it. And I ran 315 in Berlin. Yeah, 315. Um, and it was rainy there too, but luckily it was not cold. So I didn't get hypothermia or anything, just like normal, <laughs> a normal finish. No, weir no weirdo things like wheelchairs or frozen and hypothermia and uh, rolled out of Berlin and Chicago, where you were at, was two weeks apart from Berlin. And I remember getting into Chicago going, well, um, I looked it up. I was like, you know, these times are all really close together. And I was like, uh, if I could have two good races here at the end of this year, I could end up averaging around 315. So like, that's where I actually put it in my head. Like if I, I have to, I can't let this get away from me. Like I have, you know, three, I have four down, like incredibly close times. Like I have to figure out a way to do this. And Chicago, if you know how windy it was there last year and particularly oh, yeah. at the end, I know, you know, there are many parts of the course where the wind was kind of just blowing around, you know, over your shoulder, but I don't know if it was maybe the last five miles, the last 5k, it was crazy windy, like straight into your face. And I remember it like it was yesterday because I could have beaten my Berlin time. I mean, I ran 316 low, um, but I could have beaten my Berlin time and I wanted to run a 315. And I remember being disappointed that I didn't run another 315, but 316 is like two weeks apart, you know, flying from Berlin and back. And um, you know how it is at the finish line, right? So somebody's just had the greatest thing happen to them and somebody's had the worst thing happen to them. I saw one friend who had been like not hitting her big goals, you know, three, four, five times in a row. And I think she had like a 10 or 12 minute PR. So she was just like on cloud nine, she was like floating. And then literally right behind me was another good friend who was like trying to break sub three and finish like, I don't know, 30 seconds behind me. So she ran 315 something. And she was like upset because, you know, she'd worked so hard and put all that training in and was thinking it was going to be her day and it wasn't. But the cool thing was, is that I was able to like have the joy with runner A that was in front of me. And I was able to really help runner B behind me because she was just so happy to see me and that we're good friends and we hugged and, you know, it's like, it's not your day today, but it's going to be soon enough. And, you know, so that's the thing, you know, everybody out there is going through their own journey, man. You don't know, you know, what they ran or, you know, what happened to them out there or anything else. So yeah. that was Chicago and I wasn't far ahead of you. So if you could have just picked it up a little, we could have finished together. <laughs> now you could have come and said hi. You know. I was dying. I was so yeah, dying. You know, I was what threw too. me off was the <laughs> GPS. I didn't know that your GPS is completely off when you start. So I was relying on my data. I was trying to stay, because I hadn't really trained for that one very well. I was trying to stay sub eight minutes. And I was thinking, you know, I'm coming from Florida where it's really hot. So maybe that's why it's feeling so hard. My watch kept showing 8.15, 8.15. So I kept running and running and running. And I was, you know, really straining myself. And I thought, well, this is just going to not be that great of a day. And then I crossed the half line around 1.34, 1.35. And I was like, oh my gosh, that, you know, my GPS was completely off. So then it just turned into a battle for the last half of the marathon. <laughs> Wow. Well, see, I think there's some really cool stuff in there. For one thing, I think sometimes when we just run and we actually don't even know what's happening, it can be better, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying you just were running blindly and paying no attention. You were paying attention. It's just your data was off. Um, I think sometimes we'd be better off if there was like a, you know, a piece of black electrical tape over our watch or we didn't even wear a watch at all. Um, you know, I, I think at some point you will absolutely know what your marathon pace is. And I, I don't mean that you could like say unequivocally, you know, I'm running 704. Like, of course, you know, you might be 20 seconds off, but you, you, you'd be surprised if you pay attention to it and you work on it and you practice it. You know, you, you can get pretty good at having an idea, like 15, 20 seconds a mile. And that's enough. 
because you can feel, you know, from a respiratory side when you're starting to push a little too much, you know, when you hit a, a tough section or where you go right into the wind, you can start to feel like, wow, I'm having to put so much more effort in and I'm not getting out of this what I need. And you raised another really good point. GPS, man, don't rely on that shit in these big races because I can <laughs> tell you it isn't just Chicago. Tokyo, forget about it. Same thing. You're going to have, you got those huge buildings and it doesn't mean that the whole race, it isn't going to work. It just, if you get to the point where you can only function when you look down at your Garmin or your Polar, or in my case, I have a Coros watch. I have like, everybody sets their screens up a certain way. So for me, I have a power number, which is from Stride. I use, you know, power to tell me it correlates to pace and effort. So I run by that number to some degree. Um, I have heart rate in there and I have like average pace per mile. And then I have the whole you know, the clock running or whatever. And then the fifth screen for me is, I think, just distance, whatever it is. But so like, I look at those things, but I'm never like looking at it going, oh, I have to slow down. Oh, I have to speed up. No. I mean, I like to look at it a couple of times. And to your point, when I get by major milestones, 10K, half, whatever, I have an idea what those numbers are. I mean, I used to write it down on my forearm or, you know, use all those tape splits, but now I just kind of like let it roll, you know, and just, you know, go, go old school and just kind of run, run by feel. And it worked, it worked in those races. I ran by feel in literally pretty much all those races. You know, I wasn't like saying I need to run 715 pace per mile, 720, never did anything like that. I just ran and, you know, got through a certain section of the race. And then, you know, when it got hard, I dug in, you know, I just said, if I keep grinding a little more, I got a chance to run a really good race here. And it's right. a good strategy. It's a good strategy, right? right? Cause Chicago, you know, how tough the end of that race was. And, you know, like for everybody out there, that's why mantras are so important. Um, you know, for everybody who's listening to the show, you know, you got to have some place when things get dark or things get difficult or things get hard, you got to have a plan for that. You have to have a strategy for that because the races aren't going to go the way we want. It's not like you're going to get to the last 10K and then the sun's going to go behind the clouds and the breeze is going to switch from 10 miles into your face to a 30 mile an hour tailwind. And then all of a sudden people are just going to be chanting, go Letty every five steps. Like that's not the way marathons work. They don't work <laughs> like that at all. It's usually the exact opposite. Like the wind just blows dead into your face and you're like, literally like, what the hell's happening here? Like, are you kidding me? Like I'm destroyed. I can't, I don't need this right now. Like I need a tailwind, you know? So what are you going to do? Like, what are you, what are you doing mentally? Are you preparing for that? Do you have like a mantra that you're going to say when the, you know, when the going gets really tough, like, what are you going to say to yourself to like steal yourself for those moments? Because you just need to stay on point or on message for short, short periods of time to distract yourself enough to get through those really hard patches. And then the next thing you know, you're another mile down the road. And then maybe it's, you know, if I can catch this lady in the orange shirt that's right there, if I can get up to that group, you know, I can work with them together. There's six of them across. Let me get to them. If I can bridge that gap and get up there. Like, cause these are just like little things mentally. You have to figure out a way to do to like break the race down in part. So for me, mantras are important. Mine's like stay in the fight. So I always like stay in the fight. That's my sign. That's like my hashtag and Goggins uses it too. So, and you know, and to share anything like Goggins is always a good thing. David Goggins is my man. Um, Cause you need something, you know, like I am strong or, you know, whatever, like whatever the hell it is, you got to tap, you got to tap into that. Noted, Ron. I'll be um, working on mantras and getting some black tape for my watch because I'm really using this watch <laughs> for everything. Every 30 seconds, I look at it and it's annoying. And um, I think it, I agree with you. It's a bad habit. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. But it's something that almost everyone does. Yeah. Um, and I had a, I had a podcast. Um, she was the second place finisher in Boston Virtual. And she ran with her um, dad was on a bicycle. I don't know if her mom was on a bicycle, but I know her mom was on the course. Her boyfriend was out there. And I think one of her siblings were out there. She ran in like Hilton Head on vacation. And 
you know, she basically said that her dad kept trying to like tell her the splits and tell her where she was. And she's just like, no, no, no. Like she literally kept saying no. She had her watch on her wrist because she had to record her time. Of course, she literally did not look at her watch and ran like a huge PR um, and was second place in Boston virtual. So she had a, you know, huge like breakthrough by just kind of like running on feel and just letting it, letting it flow. Uh, more or less. And I think if more of us tried that, I mean, a great place to try it too, Letty, is don't, don't do it in a marathon, do it in another race, run a 5k. I mean, obviously the 5k and marathon are very far apart because <laughs> one is like almost all out and it's not all out, but obviously very different in pacing feel. But if you try it in a couple of other races, it might make it a little more comfortable for you and be less uncomfortable if you yeah. tried in a marathon. No, that's a good idea. That's a great idea. Yeah. So, Ron, so then we have one race left, right? We're at New York now. Yes. All right. So, how was New York for you? And, um, I mean, that's a big race. Yeah. And New York is, New York is my backyard. Um, so, I've worked in New York my entire adult life and lived there for quite a few years. I'm on the river in, on the New Jersey side. I'm a four-minute ferry ride across now. And I, I could see lower Manhattan, those beautiful buildings on every run when I'm on this side of the river. Um, and it's, I run for Central Park Track Club. So we're one of the most competitive teams um, in the tri-state area or even in the US, I would say. We've got uh, Olympic trials runners left and right, people who competed in the Olympics. So that race is like kind of our race, if you will, or I think all the um, competitive club teams feel that way because it's on our course. We work out in Central Park. We do our hard workouts, our tempo runs, um, mile repeats, hill repeats, strength work, long runs. We're doing a lot of that work right there in Central Park or around the immediate area. And we've run the last 10 miles of the course a month or two before. It's something we, you know, we do as like a ritual. So you can run the last 10. You can't run the whole course. You can't go out to the Verrazano Bridge and run over that. Um, you know, there's cars and you get killed and it wouldn't be safe. Um, <laughs> so it'd be fun if it was shut down and you could run the whole course, you know, the way people were able to do in Boston, but you can't. Um, so the, the magic of New York is, and I talked about how my heart is with Boston because that I've been going there for so long. But New York is my, that's, this is my place. This is like home. It's like a home field advantage for a sports team. And, you know, when I get out in that course, I don't care how beat up I'm feeling, how tired I am. I know that I'm going to see people all day long. And I mean, these are people I know. These aren't just people on the course that have a sign that yell your name because they recognize you from Instagram. These are people I know, people I work with, my friends, other running club teammates, you know, people out there with signs with your name on it. So, it's an adventure. It's an adrenaline rush. Um, it's a, you know, it's just a, it's a block party, you know, for lack of a, a better term. And New York has an energy like no other place anyway, just to visit, just to go walk around Times Square, or go down to the Freedom Tower, or, you know, go to museums. The energy of New York City is, is unlike any place. And it's just a melting pot of so many different cultures and, and just different styles. And uh, there's just such a uniqueness to it. And the course is so unique because the bridges and, you know, the urban feel of it and, you know, the different neighborhoods, you know, the ethnicities that you feel that you, you know, you touch, gospel singers, rap singers, you know, musicians, you know, playing instruments. It's got everything that you'd ever want out there. And for me and, um, you know, for my own club team, when we enter Central Park, which is about four miles to go. It's right around, you know, mile 22. You enter there off of Fifth Avenue, you turn onto 90th Street and Fifth, and, you, and we have this section there. We call it the Wall of Orange because our team, our uniforms are mostly orange or orange and blue. And it's become known as the Wall of Orange because our runners, it's a couple of hundred deep, sometimes 150 or 200 of us out there that aren't running. And it's wives and spouses and friends and siblings, our kids that are just make up this Wall of Orange. And they've got signs and they're out there in their Central Park Track Club gear and and they know where we are because they can track us. So they know when we're coming into the park, they're, they're waiting on us. You know, we're, we're looking to make eye contact on them, but they all know we're coming. So it's like, you know, they start screaming your name and like, man, I've jumped, you know, I feel like I've jumped like six feet, but I probably jumped like six inches. I've got no hops. You know, <laughs> I can't play basketball, man. You know, what was the movie? White man can't jump. Yep. I can't jump. I got no, I got no hop, no skills. Um, but when I get into that park, 
I feel like um, for anybody who's ever played video games, uh, the video gamers that are out there, it's like an extra life, life boost. It's like a Mario Brothers. They give you like five more lives. You get to run around and, and try to win the game again or, you know, Legend of Zelda, whatever game you've ever played as a kid. Um, so when I get into that park, that race to me, it's even though there's like four miles to go or r- roughly four miles to go, to me, I'm just like, nope, this is bonus time in the video game. This is time to like see people smile, wave, like just draw in all the energy. And I, I feed off it and it's just really, it's hard to really put it into words much more than I'm trying to do. Hopefully that energy and enthusiasm comes across because I just, I just live for it. I don't even feel like I'm hitting the ground when I run through the park. And I know that it is, uh, people don't realize it, but it's a lot of downhills in the park from that section on. You do have a couple of inclines that really gut you <laughs> at the end because, you know, you're so dead at that point. But once you scale those last couple of inclines and um, you get out there and exit the park briefly and, um, you know, run along Central Park South and then cut back into the park at Columbus Circle. It's just like an adrenaline rush like no other. And you come up and finish my tavern on the green and, you know, I knew it was done. I didn't have any more majors to run. All six were in the, in the bag. And uh, I just, I felt like I, I don't know, won an Olympic gold medal or something. It was just really um, such, a, such a collective experience of doing all those races and keeping those times so consistent and, you know, I didn't get another six-star medal, even though I had done all six in one year, because I earned my medal in Tokyo. So, I'd already run a bunch of them. So, I actually need one. I just need to run Tokyo again to get a second six-star. So, although I ran all six last year, I got my six-star in Tokyo. So, it wasn't like I was crossing New York and then getting my six-star. I already had my six-star medal. It just was, you know, I'd done all six in one year. I'd run all these, you know, consistent times. And it was, it was super. And the Avid people, you know, I've gotten to know them pretty well. I, you know, I've been around and at their races all the time. So, they pulled me into the booth and I was hanging out. I got some pictures with Joan Benoit Samuelson, one of my running heroes. And, you know, that was, that was super cool. And then, you know, it was like party central, you know, <laughs> hit New York City, go to race parties, drink, you know, have fun. So Wow, Ron, congratulations. But that's kind of crazy that you didn't um, get an extra medal for being a six-time fi- six-star finisher within one year, you know, in consecutive races. They don't have anything for people like yourself. <laughs> it's, it's very funny. Um, so I am, um, Lorna Campbell is the director of marketing for Abbott, and mm-hmm. she does uh, a series called In Conversation With, and she does uh, like 30-minute Zoom interviews with six-star finishers, or um, and she elites, pros, Dina Castor has been on, and I was amazingly fortunate to be interviewed by her, and we had just such a fun spot. And, you know, I kind of intimated, you know, that would be a fun thing, or even if it just in the actual six-star medal, maybe they gave you like an extra pin or just something, because Runners will do just about anything for for extra swag or something cool. Um, I do think they should. There should be something if you can do six in one year. I don't care if you walk all six of them. I it has nothing to do with you know being consistent in the times. Although I'm super proud of that. If you did it in six hours, I you have all my respect. I don't care what time you did it. And if you finished all six of them in one year and you flew all those miles and you know you got to make that work. I mean, I have a job. And people think I'm retired. I'm not retired. I mean, I got to work and pay for all this craziness. You know. So, so you got to take time off. You got to get dog sitters. You know, there's, there's a lot to do to manage all that. And then also to be able to stay healthy. Think about it. I mean, everybody I talk to who runs is like, oh, I got plantar fasciitis. Oh, I have ITV band syndrome. I have this problem. You know, I've got Achilles tendonitis. You know, I'm 59. I'm going to be 60 in January. And I was able to make it through that gauntlet of all those races and the 50 mile that Gene talked me into. And I ran I two 128 halves mixed in there that were like in, mixed in there between there, the New York City half and the Brooklyn half, which are two enormous half marathons for anybody who loves to travel and wants to come to New York. They're two of the best half marathons in the world. So I had a, a super full calendar and, you know, just blessed that I was able to stay healthy through all of it. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Healthy and obviously well-trained, not just healthy to finish them. You know, you did an amazing time. Thank you so much for sharing all this with us because um, I feel like right now there's nothing better than taking a trip down memory lane and talking about traveling because we can't. 
Oh gosh. Yeah. I think that's, everybody has their things, Letty. And um, I just love traveling since I'm a kid and I started taking my son with me. You know, we started going on adventures. He's been to Ireland and Italy together and he's been to China three times and speaks Mandarin. So I think it's a really powerful life lesson for anybody. You know, we, we certainly are more open to people of, of different ethnicities and faiths and, and races and everything else by going around the world and traveling and, and seeing other cultures and experiencing other cultures and, you know, being stuck in staying only in New York or New Jersey or Boston or wherever you hail from, or even another country, if you only stay in France, like it, it's just not a, it's not a way to be open-minded and experience things in life. So if you have that ability in life, you know, my God, go for it. And certainly right now, none of us can, you know, I mean, I'd be the first one. I'd be like jumping on a plane. Like, where are we going? Let's go. I don't care where we're going. <laughs> I don't care what we're doing. Let's just, let's just make it happen and let's do it. Um, but you know, this is a good time to level set for everybody at home before, uh, before we sign off. It's a good time to level set. Cause you know what, you know, now's the time to like take stock of like, where are you man in your life with job, with relationships, with your relationship with fitness, with everything. Like, what do you want to do? Find a big goal. Now's the time to take a look and plan because it's not going to happen anytime soon. So, I made a huge goal. I'm going to be 16 January. I want to finish an Ironman because I started off doing triathlon in my early 30s and I had a bad crash and it just kind of pushed me to focus on my running. And I always thought I'd get back to triathlon, but I kind of never did. I just literally never, ever, ever did. And, you know, I just decided after the, you know, during the pandemic, I ran all these marathons for charities and I raised a lot of money for healthcare workers. And, and that was really wonderfully fulfilling, but I need, felt like I needed to do something else. So I started riding my bike again. And, you know, now I put this big goal out there and, you know, so now's a good time. You know, we're not going to be racing like the big races. I'm sure you could find a local trail race or maybe a small triathlon or and maybe a small anything. Um, but while you can't do the bigger stuff is a good time to, you know, take a look and see find find your next big goal to chase down that's an awesome goal ron um congrats on starting that again and then uh where can people follow you if they want to follow your journey to or iron man maybe get in touch with you um on instagram i'm ron runs nyc um i believe on facebook i'm also ron runs nyc and on strava i'm ron runs nyc <laughs> Uh, and then if anybody wants to ever check out my podcast, of course, that's Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. But there's a link in my Instagram uh, bio. I have a Linktree link and it has uh, connection points for me uh, to my website for any charities I run for or any, any way that you'd want to reach out to me, email, phone, et cetera. So I appreciate you asking and very much appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for coming and we really appreciate it as well. Thanks again, Ron, for coming onto our podcast and having this conversation with me. That was a lot of fun. I, just like you, love the running community, and I cannot wait to meet up with you in person at some sort of racing event in the near future and have this post-race beer and a celebration with you and all runners. Um, that literally makes me smile and my heart happy. So that said, uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Get some miles in, no matter if you do your own morning turkey trot or if you sign up for a virtual one or if you get to do one in person, make the best out of it. And I'll leave you with that. Have a wonderful time. Thanks for listening to this episode. As always, we hope that we were able to provide you with something of value. Make sure you like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. Our account you can find under WGTR Podcast. Thanks. Until next time, have a great week of running.